Coming up on Golf Today, the champ is here. A sit-down with Scotty Scheffler after his magical week at the Masters. The emotions, overcoming doubt, holding off Cam and Rory, and what is next for the world number one. And Tiger was back on center stage last week, somehow getting through 72 holes at Augusta National. Thankful, grateful, and looking ahead to St. Andrews. What did the Masters mean for Tiger? And Rory McIlroy with that bunker shot and out-of-body experience on 18, the highlight of a bogey-free 64, his best Masters finish ever. Was it a single moment or a turning point for one of the best in the game? It's all ahead on Golf Today. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. With great resolve and a short game that would not quit, Scotty Scheffler is your Masters champion for 2022, riding a two-month wave of golf at its highest level. Just 25 years of age with a grown-up game that will travel Phoenix, Orlando, Austin, and now Augusta, Georgia as well. Happy Monday to you, Damon Hack, alongside Jaime Diaz, who has been covering the Masters since 1986. What was your favorite part of this past week? I love the showdown on Sunday between the two best players this year. And, you know, it was very much similar styles and both really strong mentally. Mm. And to see Scotty Scheffler emerge from that, I thought it validated his victory even more because Cam Smith's a formidable player. I just love the, the questions that Augusta National asks of the players mm -hmm. and of its champions specifically. Can you move the ball this way? Can you handle the stresses that the golf courses presents to the short game, to the full swing? We see it every year. It, it, it never disappoints. And it tested Scotty. I mean, he's not a natural drawer of the ball, and when he does have to draw it, he really makes an exaggerated move. And, you know, with all that trouble out there, especially on 13, uh, with the lead on the, on the line and everything, he still pulled mm. those shots off in his own way. It wasn't textbook. It was his way. And I think that victory really belonged to him because, you know, he played his game the whole way yeah. uh, without feeling like, uh, geez, you know, I'm losing it here. He, he has control of what he's got. And at a young age, he's a very mature player. Special player, mm -hmm. Scotty Scheffler. How about the players to win the Masters as the number one player in the world? Scotty Jordan, a fantastic list. You see Tiger Woods a couple of times. Fred Couples, World Golf Hall of Fame member. DJ on his way. Ian Woosnam already there as well. And to think about Scotty, on Sunday, actually got off to a very, very rough start. I cried like a baby this morning. I was so stressed out. Um, I didn't know what to do. I was sitting there. I was telling Meredith, I was like, I, I don't think I'm ready for this. You know, I'm not ready. I go, I don't feel like I'm ready for this kind of stuff. And I just felt overwhelmed. And so she told me, who are you to say that you're not ready? Um, who, who am I to say that I know what's best for, for my life? And so for what we talked about is, you know, that God is in control and, you know, the Lord is leading me. And um, if today's my time, then, then it's my time. And if, you know, I shot 82 today, you know, somehow I was going to use it for his glory. And um, gosh, it was a long morning. <laughs> it was long. Did you calm down at any point? I think when um, she made me some more food, had a big breakfast. My stomach has been hurting for like two days straight. Um, and so I, I would say I calmed down when I got to the course. You know, right when I got to the, the training room and started working with with Troy, I was I was pretty calm. Doug? 
Gotti, why do you think that happened? Why do you think you thought that way? Thought what way? That, how you did this morning. I think because it's the Masters. Um, I've I've dreamed of having a chance to play in this golf tournament. I, I teared up the first time I got my invitation in the mail. Um, we we were fortunate enough to play here in college, and you know I love this place. I love this golf course. Um, and there's just, you know, if you're going to choose a golf tournament to win, this would be the tournament I would want to win. And you don't know how many chances you're going to get. And so having a chance, you know, if I think I had a five-shot lead on Friday and then a three-shot lead going into today, I don't know if you get better opportunities than that. And so you don't want to waste them. And, you know, as the human condition is just to to make things bigger than they really are. And, you know, years from now, I would say people may not remember me as a champion, and that's fine. But in the moment, you think it's a lot bigger deal than it really is. You've talked a lot about just your desire to compete and how much that means to you. How do you balance that desire to, to compete and to immerse yourself in it without letting it kind of define who you are as a person? Yeah, I think that all goes back to my faith. You know, the reason why I play golf is because, you know, I'm trying to glorify God and, you know, all that he's done in my life. And so for me, my identity isn't, isn't a golf score. You know, like Meredith told me this morning, she says, if you win this golf tournament today, um, if you lose this golf tournament by 10 shots, if you never win another golf tournament again, she goes, I'm still going to love you. You're still going to be the same person. Jesus loves you. Um, and nothing changes. And all I'm trying to do is glorify God. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm in this position. And so for me, um, it's not, it's not about a golf score. Does that, does that free you up in the moment? Does it make you less nervous? hundred percent. You know, I, if, if I was trying to win this golf tournament when I was in high school, you know, if my high school self was trying to win this golf tournament, I would have been a totally different person out there on the golf course. You know, every, every day when we go out there, Meredith always prays for peace because that's how, what I want to feel when I'm out there on the golf course. I want to feel peace and have fun and just feel his presence. And so um, that's her prayer every day. That's my prayer. And, um, and I really felt that today. I, I, I felt at peace. You know, like I said, when I, when I got to the golf course, I, I was pretty much settled in. It's just the morning that was tough. <laughs> Got to love that honesty from the world number one. Now, players to win four times in the PGA Tour season, including a major and World Golf Championship event, table for two. Tiger Woods and Scotty Scheffler. Tiger showing once again maybe the most underrated player of all time, even as great as he is. And look at Scotty's season so far. Phoenix, API, WGC match play, and now the Masters as well. And for more, we're going to welcome in our own Paige McKenzie, who actually captained Scotty Scheffler in 2013 at the Spirit International page. I want to start with you. You know, how do you unpack this Masters Monday? What's top of mind when you think about what Scotty Shuffler just did? Uh, for me, that uh, press conference was as poignant of any moment that I watched that week. On the golf course, obviously, there was a lot to celebrate, but I think listening to an athlete describe the doubts and the fears that they had, and then what he did to overcome it, I think is exceptional. You know, as a Christian, I think it's a great testimony to what faith can do and provide you in your life. And as an athlete, I think it's important to look at how peak performance can be elevated. We always study getting into the zone. What do you do to get into the zone? How many books have been written to get the best performance out of yourself? But I think it's also interesting, and I think that there's a hesitancy 
in covering uh, faith and faith-based athletes. Uh, but I think it's fascinating to see how that can free up an athlete to get the best and most out of them. And to, to see and, and have Scotty Scheffler share all of that, I think was uh, uh, quite the window into what his Sunday was like. Yeah, Scotty saying it was a very rough morning, but once he got to the golf course, he felt a lot of peace. How about for you, Jaime? What stood out? You know, that the, the openness, number one, to be able to say, you know, I was crying this morning. I mm. mean, that's a, most athletes wouldn't show that much vulnerability. That shows, a, I think, an inner strength, inner confidence that, you know, I can still handle it even though it was, you know, probably kind of traumatic. But it's not unusual for great athletes uh, to feel a lot of stress and uh, before uh, a big event and even as a ritual. I mean, Bill Russell, one of the greatest basketball players of all time with Boston Celtics. And uh, you're always talking about UCLA. He went to my alma mater, USF. <laughs> but, uh, he, uh, you know, would, would throw up before every game. Uh, and it's amazing. I mean, he played 14 years. He won 11 titles, you know. And yet he needed that, you know, kind of stress to just get him to the point where he knew he was keyed up to the, ex to the max and then channel it. Because it's one thing to pretend you're relaxed and then go to the golf course and freeze. Yeah. It's better to feel stress going in, acknowledge it, deal with it, and then get relaxed and channel it correctly. And that's what Scotty uh, Scheffler did. And to do so with a lead also. We know that in the history of the Masters, the stories aren't always of, of great things that happened. I can't help but think about 1996 and the six-shot oh lead that Greg Norman had and lost. Everybody's thinking about that in the back of their mind because it's just something that continues to kind of cover and color the first major championship of the year. It's so possible. Golf is so hard. At the top, at the high, highest level, you know, it's a tightrope with no net. And if it gets away from you, it really gets away from yeah. you, especially under pressure. And it did to Greg. But he's not the first, and he won't be the last. And it's, you know, it kind of got away from Cameron Smith when he looked like he was running, you know, really hot after the first couple of uh, birdies. He, he recovered. He was tough. But still, uh, it, it's really something that I think is closer to the edge than we realize all the time. And that's what makes... I think Tiger Woods so admirable. He's always handled that. And it also is what makes us so uh, ad admiring of anyone who wins these things because we know the inner battle intuitively, whether we've done it ourselves or not. We know in life sometimes you have to react to stress. And when you pull it off, it's something you feel proud of. But often you don't. And that, that fear is something you got to deal with. What about his characteristics, Paige, yeah. as a player? I mean, what he was able to pull off, the, the short game, the, the length off the tee, how for so many great Masters champions, they feel that the golf course is like a playground. It's a palette for them to, to throw their, their favorite colors onto a canvas. <laughs> it also is a bit of a Rubik's Cube. And you've mm. heard players uh, every single year talk about trying to figure it out. Uh, even Trevor Immelman, I worked with him at the Augusta National Women's Amateur. He said, you have to know the soft spots. You have to know the places around this golf course. And for Scotty Scheffler, this was his third playing of the Masters. In the two previous, he also topped 20. He has been able to figure it out uh, pretty darn quickly when you compare to historically how, how players have played it in their early, in their early playings. Uh, the other thing that struck me is, is not only him figuring it out, but the dichotomy of the stress off the golf course, but then he talked about being able to ease into the round. And to me, that's a talent, that's a skill, that is practice of years and years of those stressful moments of learning how to control your body in the moments inside the ropes, learning your tendencies, knowing how to control uh, your yourself in the temperament that's needed in those moments. To me, the, the short game stood out 
uh, the, some of those chip shots that he hit to have that kind of softness and feel when you know there's a ton of adrenaline coursing through your body. You know that's where you can be exposed on this golf course. So absolutely, those those. Those things to me stood out about Scotty Scheffler on the weekend. Yes, yeah, college coach John Fields told me that he believes that Scotty Scheffler's short game mirrors the talents of the best to ever do it. You're talking about Seve, Tiger, Phil, Jordan Spieth. How about the fact that this is a fourth win in six starts, something that hasn't happened since Jason Day yeah. in 2015, and that fourth win is the Masters. Yeah, and it's, we're beyond uh, fluke territory for sure. There's <laughs> this, there's real substance to Scotty Scheffler's game. And to go back to that short game that you alluded to that John Fields is, is celebrating, and correctly, the greatest combination in golf is power and touch, and it's mm. not that common. And when, it, and when it is achieved, usually those are the guys who get the number one who dominate, who make a historical impact. And we're talking about Seve and Greg Norman and Tiger Woods and Ernie Els and Phil Mickelson. And it's a long litany. Uh, Jack Nicklaus was so great with power. He, he was great on the greens with touch, but he didn't quite have the wedge. He played around it, you yeah. know, but even he said, geez, if I'd been better with the wedge, I would have won even more. So Scotty has a wonderful package. It's, it's not to that level yet, but you see the beginnings of, you know, a real great foundation that will carry him through. And he's built for the long term. The short game is underrated, even though, you know, everybody's hitting driver wedge and making a ton of birdies. When the majors happen, you've got to recover from the really difficult holes where it's hard to hit the green. Mm -hmm. And the greens are hard and firm, and you've got to have great contact and great spin. And, you know, you saw the quality of, of Scotty's chips. Yes. You know, it wasn't just like running them up there. I mean, he was yeah. spinning them off hills just what, like Tiger does. And that is a great separator. Yeah, and doing it in an era where it felt like, you know, this number one ranking was going to be kind of passed around from this player to that player. Mm -hmm. Justin Thomas getting a lot of run ahead of the Masters. John Rahm, obviously, Colin Morikawa. But it was Scotty Scheffler continuing to keep the pot boiling at the first major championship of 2022. And, folks, we have a huge show planned on this Monday after the break. I'm going to break down Rory McIlroy's outstanding final round. He came up short in his eighth attempt to complete the career slam, but he plans to use the week to propel him forward this season. That and more next. Back on golf today, quite the scene on 18 Sunday as Rory McIlroy hold out bunker shot in the 18th hole for birdie to finish eight under 64. Now that's 64 Sunday matches the best final round score in Masters history. Rory would finish the week in solo second. His best Masters finished three strokes shy of Scotty Scheffler. And there have now been eight final round 64s in the Masters. Just one leading to victory. That was Gary Player in 1978 at 42. The oldest at the time had that second 930. Rory now the most recent. And Rory sounding confident after that mesmerizing finish. I've always known that I could do it. I mean, I've, I've, I've played good enough around here. Um, maybe just having strung four rounds together like that. Um, but I've always known that, that I have the game to, to win at this place. It's just a matter of, um, you know, having, having that game for, for four days in a row and not, um, you know, not making the big numbers and not, um, you know, shoot, shooting yourself in the food, I guess. So, and that's sort of what, that was my attitude, you know, the first couple of days. I certainly, you know, I didn't do that. I, I played for pars quite a lot. Um, but in the course of a, a tournament, you are going to find spots where you go on a little birdie run or you, you know, you, 
you try to take advantage of some of the good golf that you play, and um, I, I, I did that today. Um, but yeah, it, I don't think it just sets me up for next year. I think it sets me up this year just for the rest of the year. I, I feel like my game has sort of been quietly pretty good without the the, the results to really uh, show for it. But, you know, again, today, you know, it was a golf golf course that I felt was gettable, and, you know, I feel like I'm playing well enough to go out there and shoot those sort of scores. Roy McIlroy in full flight. There are a few things better in the game. Was this Roy McIlroy unlocking something for the future, as he says, potentially this season, or was this a player freewheeling it on a Sunday from well off to pay off the pace to to contention? I think it's more the first. Okay. You know, I think it was a triumphant moment. It wasn't a win, but it was a personal triumph to get past this block that he's got with the Masters, and suddenly the Grand Slam feels much more in play going forward. Uh, but I think he did have some changes in his strategy and his approach because Rory's always been a big shot player, making eagles, making you know the the the, the shots that others can't make. But I think he's learned that really it's the steady shots that he can continue to repeat that will carry him through because they'll eliminate the big numbers. And especially with short game and par putts and those kinds of things that keep rounds going, mm. he put an emphasis on that, which I think is really important because that's what's cost him in the past. And it's been costing him not just at the Masters, but I think throughout almost every time he plays, but especially at majors because pars are so important and bogeys hurt you more. And he made a lot of soft bogeys. And I think... These days, he's, I think, gotten to the point reflectively that it's like, you know, you can talk golf swing all you want and iron play and everything and, and, and analytics, but that is the simple way to control the lowest score. Yeah. Just don't let strokes leak away. And I thought that this was a triumph of that. Uh, no bogeys on Sunday. Obviously, 64, you're not going to make a lot of bogeys. But he had a moment there, 12, uh, 11, 12, and 14, and he noted it. Those are the places where he was proudest that he saved the par, that he got the up and down, that he made the eight-footer. And I think that's what's going to carry Rory forward because he has enough game to beat anybody, but not with a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Nobody can make a lot of mistakes in golf and win. If he had any hangdog feeling about the Masters, if he felt snake-bitten at all, if he felt like this was going to be you know, his white whale forever trying to chase this green jacket, I would think that Sunday would give him exactly yeah. the fuel that he needs to believe mm -hmm. that he can win around Augusta National and hit the shots required. The way he started that round, birdieing the first, the eagle at 13, the incredible flourish at 18, saying he'd never felt that way on the, on the golf course. I mean, that's remarkable for someone who's got four major championships. You know, and his playing par partner, who played really well, too, Colin Morikawa, talked about Rory and said, you know, he had a beautiful pace. He goes, I always look at guys, how they walk. Yeah. And he had a wonderful pace. It's not too fast, not too slow. It's hard to describe, but he felt like he was kind of in an Augusta zone, which would be something really important for Rory to find. But I think Colin's a very observant guy, very mm. intuitive about the game, and he sensed that Rory had found something that was giving him peace and ease and confidence. Yeah, I yeah. love that Rory said this isn't about the next Masters. This is right. about this season. Paige McKenzie, what did you take from Rory 64? I appreciate everything that you guys said. And, Damon, I actually think your question is the question of the day. Was he so far back that it gave him the freedom to play, or was he actually challenging for a title? And I think it's actually both of those things. I think it, when I was watching that Sunday and you're seeing Rory McIlroy climb the leaderboard, you're saying, man, it's likely going to be too little too late. But then when it came down to it, and when you heard him talk about it afterwards, he felt the heat of the moment. He knew what he had to do. He knew that he needed to, to probably birdie the last to have a chance, and he did. And that's why I think it's both. I think it was too little, too late, and likely early in the round, uh, that freewheeling helped. 
But at the end of the day, when he knew he needed to perform coming down the stretch, he did that too. And when he described that this 18th green, that, that scene and that the, the cheers that went out, I don't know. He said, I've never experienced that before on the 18th at Augusta. Maybe, maybe that will give him the visual and the auditory memory that will help him in, in the future, walking up the 18th, knowing what it feels like when he can make the, corral, uh, the patrons erupt. I think it's a little bit of both, though, Damon. I, I don't think it was a day of full intention with considering that he was so far out, but I did appreciate the way that he ended it, knowing what he needed to do. And I think that can definitely act as a springboard moving forward. Yeah, he didn't know what to do with his hands. That celebration was like an out-of-body <laughs> experience, I think. But what we love about Rory, his honesty, and the fact that he's such an optimist. Yeah, well, you know, I think he's been tested in that regard. Okay. I, I've noticed that I, I, you know, not cynicism is the wrong term, but, you know, just a sense of, uh, God, this game is so hard. Yeah. You know, and he used to have such, you know, kind of free and wheeling. I mean, to win two majors by eight strokes, you got to be freewheeling and, and, and feel like, you know, this game, I own this game. Yeah. And he's never going to have that feeling again. It's probably not even a healthy free because nobody owns this game. But I just feel like he knows when to – you know, when to turn it on now. Because mm. he, okay, yesterday, Paige is right. I mean, he did have a free run. Yeah. But he took it in the right way. It wasn't like a desperation, shoot yeah. the works. It was more like, hey, this is happening. I chipped it on one, or, you know, that was a great start. But he, but he sustained it. Yeah, one mm. of the indelible moments of the Masters, page. Yeah, and one of the other things that I took away when he was describing it was he talked about the buzz of a major championship. And he said, I haven't felt that buzz since he was trying to make the cut in the 2019 Open. That's not exactly the buzz you want, is just trying to make the cut, but obviously we all remember that pretty magical day. Uh, but it's, it's also kind of, you, you have your own doubts as a player of how, when, or if you're gonna get that same kind of rush in the moment. And to hear that he had that, and to hear that he embraced that, and to feel like he harnessed it, uh, to me was so optimistic. Like, I feel like I'm more optimistic for Rory McIlroy moving forward because he has admitted that that was part of the equation that has been missing recently, even with top 10 finishes in majors. Yeah, neat for Rory to feel that adulation and knowing that the patrons want him to win oh, that man. green jacket yeah. just about as much as Rory does. Well, Rory wasn't the only one to create some fireworks on 18 Sunday. His playing partner, as we mentioned, Kamaru Okawa, that two-time major champ, also hold out from the bunker for birdie to shoot a final round 67, finish the week in solo fifth. What a cool scene that it was for both of them. We're talking birdies, dozen between them, two eagles, three hole outs on Sunday. What a rollicking Masters weekend. Well, a thrilling week from start to finish as Tiger Woods made his first competitive start in 508 days. Here from Tiger next on his plans for the rest of the majors this season. What's, uh, one memory you'll take away most from this Masters? Memory, gosh. Um, you know, truthfully, it's it's the inspiration of Tiger. Uh, Tiger's work. Forget score. I don't care. You know, he might not say that to the media, but forget score, right? Um, it's pretty inspirational. Ten-year anniversary of my win, but but watching him walk, um, gosh, I cry on a paper cut, and so. For him to be able to walk and and make the cut um, is pretty spectacular. I play Tiger's irons. I wear shoes. 
wore a shirt this week. <laughs> um, yeah, I, Tiger on the golf course is just ridiculous. Um, he's done so much for the game of golf, and, you know, I, I spoke about it a little bit at the beginning of the week. Um, we're so glad to have him back out here. You know, he is the needle for the game of golf. He has completely changed the PGA Tour from when he came on 25 years ago, or maybe 26 now. Um, and his YouTube clips are just such an inspiration for me. Um, I remember watching him, the highlights of him winning in 97, kind of running away with it. And he never really broke his concentration. That's something that I reminded myself of today. You know, I tried not to look up. I tried to keep my head down and just keep doing what I was doing because I didn't want to break my concentration. You, the minute I did was on 18 green when I finally got on there and I have, you know, a five shot lead. And I'm like, all right, look, now I can enjoy this. And you saw the results of that. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Tiger. Yeah. And Tiger not done inspiring and creating moments, had the patrons gracing him with standing ovations as he finished 47th in his first start on the PGA Tour since the 2020 Masters Tournament. 508 days passed between the final round in 2020 and first round in 2022. Second longest break between official PGA Tour rounds of Woods' career. And during after that first round of 71, a large part of the golf cognizance he thought maybe a sixth green jacket is in the offing. And then the Friday made the cut and folks still thought maybe. Then the weekend, not as kind, at least from a scoring standpoint. But Tiger's still sounding hopeful and thankful on Sunday at the Masters. Uh, I don't think people really understand. Uh, the people who are close to me I understand if they've seen it. Um, some of the players who are are close to me have have seen it and have seen the uh, some of the, the the pictures and the, the the things that I've had to endure, and um, they they appreciate it probably more than than anyone else because uh, they know what what it takes to to do this out here um, at this level. Um, it's one thing to play, as I said, at, with my son in a hit and giggle, um, but it's another thing to play in a major championship. And uh, it's, it's been a, a, a tough road and, um, you know, one that uh, I'm very thankful to, to have, have the opportunity to be able to, to, uh, to grind through it. Um, a lot of different things could have happened, um, but 14 months um, I'm able to tee it up and play in the Masters. For not winning an event, yes, yes, without a doubt. Um, to uh, to go from where I was to to, to get to this point, um, I've had an incredible team that has helped me get to this point. Um, incredible support from. As I alluded to in the press conference on, on Tuesday, the amount of texts and FaceTimes and calls I got from players that, um, that are close to me uh, throughout this entire time has meant, meant a lot. And then to come here on these grounds and have the, 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 the patrons, you know, I played in a, in a COVID year and then I didn't play last year. So, um, you know, 19 was last time I, you know, we, for me that I experienced, you know, having the patrons like this. And it, it's exciting. Now, when you look back on this week in your life, how will you describe it? Thankful, as I, as I alluded to. I, I'm, I, I keep saying it, um, but I am. I, I really am. I truly am. Um, just to get to this point and uh, um, just to be able to play. And, and not, not only just to play, but I put up a, a good first round. You know, and I got myself there. 
Um, I, I don't quite have the endurance that I would like to have had. Um, but, you know, as of a few weeks ago, I didn't know if I was going to play in this event. So um, to go from that to here, uh, we're excited about uh, you know, the prospects of the future, about training, um, about getting in, into that gym and doing some other stuff to, to get my legs stronger, uh, which we have been able to do because it's needed more time to heal. But, uh, you know, I think it needs a, f <laughs> a couple more days to heal after this. But uh, we'll, we'll get back after it and we'll get into it. And Tiger wasn't done saying thank you on Sunday evening on social media. I didn't play my best out there, but just to have the support and appreciation from all the fans, I don't think words can describe that. Congrats to Scotty Scheffler on an outstanding win. It's been a special run. You think about Tiger and everything he's accomplished, the wins, 82, the majors, 15, the weeks at number one, 683. What did he achieve this week? You know, I think it was a personal kind of uh I guess, new plateau that he's allowing himself to smell the roses a little more. He doesn't have to stay as remote and steely. He can let people in a little more. We've talked about this. It's a progression, but this is even more, I think, purely about the interaction and the joy he was able to feel and also to share, not just with his kids, which I think is a big motivation. Show them how to be happy in life, I think, is important. I mean, Tiger's had a life that, you know, he's learned a lot, and I think he wants to spread some of those or, you know, pass on some of those lessons, but also... To, to touch and, and, and feel the, the, gal the, you know, the, the patrons, the gallery, the, the, the TV audience. I mean, the, just the vibe is so, you know, overwhelmingly positive towards Tiger. And I think that's really gratifying for him. I mean, he's always been one who has engendered any number of judgments and, and ambivalence and all. And I mm -hmm. think it's almost turned unanimous now that this guy's a heroic figure in so many ways and, and to be admired. Uh, not just for his golf, but actually the the road that he's traveled, the journey that he's he's I think coming out triumphant on. You know, and it, it, he talked about the gravy a long time ago when he yeah. couldn't when he really couldn't do it anymore, and it looked like it was over. This feels like the gravy right now. I mean, he can still do it. Hopefully, he talked about training possibilities that might get him stronger, and nobody's going to count him out. But just for this moment, I think it's you know in a personal, emotional way, it's about as gratifying as he's ever felt. He's become this great oracle. Yeah. in the game, even his comments saying, you know, for folks at home that may be struggling, you know, never give up. If there's any message that I can share to the folks that are paying attention and watching is that, you know what, I spent three months in a hospital bed and then every day afterwards I did something. Yeah. Maybe I couldn't work out for five hours or hit balls, but I would chip. And if I couldn't chip, I would do mental reps. He was yeah. doing something every day to point toward Augusta. You know, in that speech at the Hall of Fame, you know, if you work, you earn it. Mm. If, and, and if you don't achieve it because you didn't work, you don't deserve it in the yeah. first place. I mean, it does. It's a mantra he lives by. And let's face it, I mean, that's, that's what achievers do. Yeah. But he's also got more humanity now. Mm. And I think that warmth is coming through as well. Yeah, train hard, fight easy there was go. that great yeah. statement. Paige, yeah. what did you take away from Tiger? Didn't get a sixth green jacket to take home, but it doesn't even seem like it matters. I, it didn't feel like it did. Uh, it was probably the first event maybe ever that I've kind of witnessed. Yes, there was a, a rise of emotion when he posted the first round and, and was up on the leaderboard for a while. But at the end of the day, I think one of the more enduring moments that I saw was him walking off that 18th green after playing 72 holes in the Masters. And his smile was as big and as bright as I've ever seen it for Tiger Woods. To me, he's going to be more remembered for that moment walking off the green for, than any other score that he had. Uh, and, and to expand on what you were saying as far as appreciation goes, I think all throughout his career, he's, he's always had that mantra of no one really knows what I've been through. Um, but he never then shared any more than that. 
And I think people were in awe of him at a distance, at an arm's length, at an accomplishment only. I think because he's let people in, they appreciate everything that he's been through. And because it was such a public accident, it was such a, a public way that he had a battle that he had to fight through, I think people do know. Uh, even if they don't know, they do know that there's more to it than that. And, and you are seeing uh, a, certainly a more human uh, Tiger Woods than the superhero that we saw mm. at the early parts of his career. Lessons about really sticking to it. Lessons about never giving up. But how about the quality of his golf absent of competitive rounds for 508 days? Sure, he finished 47th in the tie. Uh, you know what? Brooks Koepka went home on Friday, as did Xander Shoffley and Jordan Spieth. Just about the quality yeah. of his golf, considering the rust. It's a, ref a reflection of his golf genius. I mean, mm. he is a limited golfer right now, and yep. he still found a way to be at the highest level and, and be a credible competitor. Uh, the endurance ended his, his run, basically, sure. and he, was, he acknowledged that, which I think was, you know, uh, good to hear, actually. It's like, you know, the, he wasn't keeping you know, his, his, his weakness yeah. apart from everybody. You know, it was like pretty obvious, not quite ready, but I'm proud of the effort and I'm gonna get better. And, you know, as far as hitting a golf ball, as long as the speed remains at a credible level, and it still does, because he was getting out there at 175 ball speed, and that's, that's enough for Tiger Woods, I yeah. think. Uh, he can still do it, mm. you know? Uh, the putting was a little sort of, I don't know, incongruous. But again, we don't know what his mind was like at that point. I mean, he may have lost concentration just from pain and just from exhaustion. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's always been able to putt. And so I think he's got a lot of tools. He's not going to be the old Tiger Woods, but in the right spot. And who knows? He talked about St. Andrews. That would <laughs> talk about a fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he finished 72 holes, yeah. a lot of people are yeah. wondering, now, where are those major championship sites for the rest mm -hmm. of the year? PGA is next month at Southern Hills, where he won in 2007. U.S. Open at the Country Club in June. He was part of that 99 victorious U.S. Ryder Cup team. Then the, the Open at the Old Course. St. Andrews in July, side of two of his three Claret Jugs. Now, Tiger discussed the future with our own Cara Banks on Sky. Honestly, Cara, I really don't know. Um, even like three weeks ago, I didn't know if I was going to play this event. Uh, it, I, I have, as I said, I have a lot of work to do. Um, the, the, the endurance in the leg wasn't very good. Uh, I, I can start out. I mean, it's sore as hell when I start out. Once it gets warmed up, it's, it's good. I can be able to hit good shots. And then the endurance goes and I hit some pretty ugly ones. Um, you know, that's one of the things that we're going to have to work on uh, and see what the schedule is. And I, as I alluded to in a number of press conferences. I, I, I won't be playing a full schedule ever again. And so um, it'll be just the big events. I don't know if I will it'll play Southern Hills or not, um, but I am looking forward to St. Andrews. And so that, that is you know, something that is near and dear to my heart. And I've won two opens there and some home of golf and it's my favorite golf course in the world. So um, I will be there for that one. Um, but anything in, in between that, I don't know. I, I will try, there's no doubt. Like I, this week, I will try and, and get ready for Southern Hills, and we'll see what this body was able to do. Listening to Tiger all week, it was about progressing, no mm. setbacks. Can't wait to get back to the gym. The leg can get stronger. And now, saying to St. Andrews, he says, I can't wait yeah. till July. What does that tell you? He loves history. He loves mm. the game. He loves the place where he played some of his greatest golf ever in yeah. 2000. Everybody talks about Pebble, and it was incredible. He made every putt at Pebble. As far as hitting the ball, uh, his, his circle of people always felt like he played better at St. Andrews. It was just a master class on the most, I don't know, storied and fabled 
you know, land you could do it on. And I, I know that's deep in his, in his uh, sort of treasure chest of memories. And to relive it, it's going to be very moving. Uh, you know, I know when Seve did not come back uh, to St. Andrews back in 2010 uh, and then unfortunately passed away shortly after, yeah. it was going to be really emotional because St. Andrews meant so much to Seve. And, uh, you know, Tiger's in a better place than Seve was. But it'll, it'll still be, I think, just as emotional. And it'll be a wonderful moment for golf. Be a similar scene as we saw at Augusta that we'll see, I believe, at the old course as well. Well, for more on Tiger, let's welcome in our colleague, Noda Begay III, who was with us last week at Augusta. First of all, Noda, it's great to see you again. I want to ask you, what surprised you, if anything at all, last week when you recall it? Well, first off, I got to say, I missed the Augusta dress. You guys were so much sharper last week. <laughs> but I like the fact that we can get a little bit casual. Let's get into this Tiger talk. I thought it was a remarkable week for Tiger. A lot of positives um, coming out of the week versus negatives. Uh, you know, I was just looking at the endurance. I was just looking at, okay, sustainability with regard to performance. Um, having dealt with major injury myself, it's always looking in that, that third and fourth round if you were lucky to make the cut and get into the weekend. Um, how high can you sustain your level of play until the body starts to deteriorate either your mindset or your technical execution. And we saw a little bit of both. I mean, we saw one of the worst putting performances, if not the worst putting performance in his career on Saturday. And then um, just a, a lot of loose golf shots on Friday that had nothing to do with his ability, just simply um, when the body's not cooperating, the body's not cooperating. And uh, Augusta National asks the best of you, asks the best of a golfer um, who's going to uh, wear the green jacket, and, and it, so it's, it's a tough task. Noda, it's, all, it's always funny to me how when Tiger was in his true prime, uh, there was so much scrutiny to his golf swing, and it was like, oh, he's changing this and he's changing that. Will he be able to pull it off? And now, of course, you know, he's got bigger issues physically, but when you look at his golf swing now, do you feel like all those questions have been settled? And, you know, he's got his golf swing, and it's actually one that maybe he owns more than he's ever owned. And if he does get his body in a great place, uh, that it will actually sustain as well as, as it ever has. I agree. I, uh, the comments that I take away is that, you know, now it starts to turn towards, okay, how much strength and stability and endurance can I get into the leg? That's the, that's the critical question now, because obviously what he had this week wasn't enough. Um, and then the second biggest question is, okay, how can I shake the rust off without playing? I don't know the answer to that. Only Tiger Woods and a player of his magnitude would be able to answer a question like that. Um, so moving forward, it's really a matter of trying to uh, get a little bit more um, more muscle, more, I don't know what you call it, uh, certainly never faced an issue like that, but it's just one of those things where the, the question marks surrounded are, are pretty simple. But, you know, I look at the swing and, and, and the mechanics of the swing uh, in two sort of dis distinct chapters. There's a chapter, the 2018 chapter, after the multiple back injuries, he had to establish a mechanical motion that would allow him to work around uh, the fusion. Um, he figured it out, played some great golf through the playoffs, won the Tour Championship, and then the following year won, won the Masters. This is a different set of issues. Um, still taking the fact that he, he has a fused back, but now, if you just look at how he's working through the ball, he's really getting to the left side um, quicker. 
um, because it alleviates the stress on the leg. Um, and he's managed to maintain good club head speeds. He's managed to maintain quality of strike. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the endurance and the sustainability of that wasn't there. Now, that's that's kind of where we need to look for, you know, when he comes out the next time he plays. Yeah, let's talk about this 2022 chapter because I'm loving this book. I can't put it down. You know, Tigers often talked about the long view and Watson playing well and you know, age 59 and Jack at 46. I mean, he knows that in the history of this game, there have been players, Raymond Floyd, who have performed in their 50s. Do you think, Noda, that Tiger thinks he can still get to 19 major championships? I do. I really do. Simply because if you look at the the, the construction of his body, I mean, and, and you, you, you're looking at that picture, that, you know, not even able to squat down fully and read putts. So, you know, he's having to work around things. Uh, simplify things. I thought the the rhythm, uh, the club head speed, the consistency that he swung the golf club, he worked his way around the golf course methodically in round one. I thought that was a true reflection of what we what I would like to see Tiger utilize moving forward. Um, every time he starts to put the gas down a little bit, it seemed as he got deeper into the tournament, um, it just didn't seem to sort. It wasn't there. Uh, like it has been in past years. And so I think that's kind of the thresholds that he's testing. You have to test your thresholds before you understand what's available to you um, in, in tournament golf, because practice and tournament are, are not very all that similar. Um, and, and so I just look, I, I, I was, I was just really impressed with how he was able to construct a motion um, based on his understanding of what he learned from the, his four previous instructors, what he's learned in his experiences in winning more than any other golfer in our era, um, and also the science. I mean, you look at his upper body. It is strong. He knows that he can, he can counteract what he's losing through ground force, through just sheer muscle up top. So um, I suspect he'll maintain a strong, very strong upper body, um, and then continue to just work around what's available to him um, through the lower body. No, no, taking everything into consideration, and there's so much to consider. Still, do you feel like this is one of the best times of Tiger's life? As a human being, it absolutely is. I think that the the, the newfound friendships that he's established with this younger generation of players, you know, the Spies, the Shafflees, all the kids that, you know, I call them kids, but they're young men, the, the young men, um, that he familiarized himself with through his assistant captaincy um, at the 2016 Ryder Cup at Hazeltine, again at Liberty National in 2017, and then as the captain down in Australia, um, he just got to know um, these players, and they waited around for him when he won in 2018 uh, at the Tour Championship, and that's not something Tiger was ever used to, but I, def I definitely... Uh, can tell you it was something he appreciated. And it just kind of was a reflection on the newfound uh, friendships he's had, his position as a father, Sam, Charlie, just being, you know, such inspirational figures in his life and how we all grow when when we become parents and how they teach us more than we teach them. And um, he just really taking it all in. And you see that in post-round comments. It's a, it's a sense of gratitude. It's a sense of appreciation. It's a sense of of not knowing what's ahead, but I better enjoy what's right, what's here and now. And he certainly, that might've been the masters that he, he appreciated the most. Several months ago, around December, around the 
the PNC Championship. You referred to your friend as a warrior, and you've been proven correct. When will we see this warrior again inside the ropes in your mind? I, I, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting how he comes out. I mean, like, you know, anytime you're, you see a racehorse win a big race or run a big race, you're always curious to see how they're going to come out of the race a, a day or two later and how they're going to feel, where's the soreness at, and then how quickly can they get back into his routine. So how quickly is he going to be able to get back into his training and practice routines? He's got to get the golf club back in his hand as soon as possible. Um, and then how much endurance and strength can he build? And does he think he can build enough to improve upon this performance by the potentially the PGA? Um, or is he looking at a much longer window um, and, and directly pointing toward the Open Championship? Well, it was a fascinating week in Augusta. Noda, we appreciate you hopping on. Get some rest. We'll speak to you soon, pal. Yeah, likewise. Great to see you guys. All we can say is great Scott about this relationship. Scotty Scheffler, Caddy Ted Scott since November of 2021. See the starts and the money before and since. And those wins for the rise in the official World Golf ranking from 17 to number one in the world. Then he goes out and wins the Masters and so forth to be joined by Ted Scott on this Monday. And how unique for you, this is your third time now on a Masters Monday where you've got this kind of glow. Just tell us what it's like the last <laughs> 24 hours and what's top of mind when you think about the memories of Sunday. Yeah, man, you know, Sunday, first of all, is a long day. You know, you wake up. I got kids, so, man, I wake up every day at, I don't know, 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, just naturally. And so you got all this time to waste. So you're just trying to figure out how to how to get rid of that energy, you know. So I went to the gym and did some different things. And um, and then you actually get into the tournament, which is, you know, what we love to do, be in the be in the heat of the moment. And then to actually win and you have the ceremony afterwards and then all the phone calls and texts. And, you know, usually after 24 hours, it, it's real, but you haven't really it hasn't really sunk in yet. So uh, still kind of meditating on it. Teddy, you've been around so many great players and caddied for them, uh, and you've studied them. But what's special about Scotty Scheffler? Yeah, I think the first thing about him is uh, his honesty. You know, um, I noticed right away when he would hit a shot, he would say, I pulled it or, you know, I mishit it. And so I think that um, that ownership that he has is really good for growing, for getting better. You know, sometimes it's hard to grow if you don't really take ownership. But I also understand the other side of the coin. I think a lot of great players are afraid to take ownership because it hurts their confidence, but he's just very real. So uh, that's, that's the first thing that I noticed. Um, and then the other thing is he's just a really hard worker. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't go unprepared. Everything is, every box is checked, you know? Teddy, you never brag. You're, you're humble. You say you don't hit any shots. You've never hit a shot in the masters, but in what ways do you think you've helped Scotty Sheffield these last few months? Man, um, you know, I, I played uh, professional foosball. I know it sounds weird, but um, and when I joined up with this one guy, we started winning everything. And I think it's just uh, partnerships. You know, sometimes energy's right. Um, the things you say to someone, it, it clicks in their head, and uh, you know, it just creates a synergy. Probably like Ryder Cup teams. You know, so I, I really don't think it's so much to do with strategy or anything like that. It's more about just our energy is pretty good out there, and maybe that makes him feel comfortable to perform his best. Well, Teddy, I don't mean to digress, but I can't pass on the opportunity to talk about your foosball career. You're the 1994 <laughs> World Doubles Champion in foosball. And Paul Azinger, who used to caddy for, always talks about 
going with you to some of these foosball informal tournaments and, you know, how you were like a god in that world. Can you just talk about your experience with Paul in, in that world and, and what was it about foosball? Uh, how much did you actually dedicate your life? Because I know you try to play professional golf also. Uh, how, how was foosball shaping your life as well? Yeah, so my neighbor owned a pool hall, and I, when I graduated high school uh, my senior year, I would get out one hour early, and I didn't have anything to do, so I would go shoot pool every day and, and just you know learn how to play pool. And then when I turned 18, I was finally be able to be in there after 6 p.m., and I noticed every Monday and Tuesday they would have foosball tournaments and 30 people back there screaming and hollering at each other. It looked like a really competitive environment. I was like, what is that? And then I, I said, I got to get in got to get in on this action. So I asked the guy if he would teach me, and he started teaching me. And next thing you know, I started playing in tournaments and uh, ended up winning three state championships and the world amateur doubles uh, with Terry Rue in 1994. If you haven't watched the documentary foosballs, foosballers.com, it's incredible, actually. And you'll see who Terry is. Um, really cool. But so then uh, when I was caddying for uh, Grant Waite, Paul Azinger had told the TaylorMade rep at the time, he said, uh, hey, man, there's this guy, you know, that, that I can't beat in foosball. And the TaylorMade rep said, we well, should talk to Grant Waite's caddy. And so I'd never really met Paul. And, and he said, can you teach me? I said, sure. So the week that Craig Perks won the Players' Championship, we were in Jackson, um, Jacksonville. We went to a, a little dive bar where we found a table. And I was showing Paul some things. And these two guys walked up. And Paul, they said, do you want to play doubles? And Paul said, oh, I don't want to play doubles. I said, dude, I don't know these guys. They can't beat us. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, buddy, I know the best players in the world at this game. If I don't know these cats, they can't touch us. <laughs> He's like, oh, I said, just stand back there and hold the rod. So we whooped him pretty quick. And then uh, he was like, okay, I think I'm hooked. And so that kind of led to me starting to teach him. And he started playing in tournaments. And then we started going uh, week to week when I started catting for him and finding, you know, little places to play and, the place he tells that he's probably scared of. We went to a warehouse in uh, Columbus, Ohio. He thought I think he, I think he thought I was going to kidnap him or something. <laughs> went to this warehouse. Um, you know, it looked pretty sketchy. And then all of a sudden, we walk in and they got foosball tables and lights and all these people in there. And he's kind of like, "Whoa!" And actually, the best player of all time was there, Todd Lafredo. And of course, he teamed up with Paul. You know how these guys are. They the great great minds think alike. They're like, "Let me find the best guy in here and team up with him." So that was a lot of fun. Wow. From foosball, let's go back to the <laughs> Gotta first. Gotta be a movie, uh, man. I'm gonna watch that documentary. Thanks. <laughs> let's go back to the you first should. nine at, at Augusta, but I wanna, I wanna look up that uh, foosball.com. Speaking of scary places, way left of three can be a little bit of a scary situation, especially when the guy sharing the final group with you has birdied one and two. Uh, take us through that, that whole scenario, which culminated with Scotty chipping in for, for a great birdie. Yeah, so, you know, um, obviously he was nervous. You know, I, I've you could tell by the swings he was making. He, he overhooked it on one off the tee, made a great recovery, overhooked it on the second shot on two, overhooked it on three. Uh, got a credible break to be behind the scoreboard where we could get a clear shot that we weren't contending with trees. And actually, the shot would have been pretty easy, but when we dropped it on pine straw, it kind of sat where when he would sit his club down, it would probably rock. So it was almost like a bunker shot from 80 yard, you know, where you have to hover your club. And when you're nervous and you're hitting a finesse shot off a of pine straw, contact's an issue, and he, and he chunked it just a hair. You know, so it landed a foot short and came back. And uh, and now, you know, it, it's a difficult chip because you're on a tight lie and, uh, you know, the ball's above your, I mean, the, the green's very elevated from there. But the good news was it was the slow direction. So um, we talked about, you know, should we fly it on? Should we bump it? And he didn't like the lie enough to fly it on. So I said, hey, let's just do a one hopper. And, you know, obviously you saw the shot, of, you know, the guy can do whatever you want. He's like playing a video game uh, with the cheat code or something <laughs> on short game. <laughs> And he was one hopped it right at the pin. And, you know, I saw about three people start to stand up with their arms up. 
and I'm going, uh oh, there's something good about to happen. And then of course the roar and that definitely uh, turned the day for sure. That was the first key moment for us. Teddy, at your level, what is the most important thing a tour caddy does or does for his player, I should say? Man, I think it's more uh, you're just trying to fill the holes, you know, that that they need. So, you know, uh, each player that I've worked for has had unique desires for, for what I could do. So it's like you might have one player that's, you know, wants you to help him with his swing. Another player wants you to help him with his mind. Another player wants you to help him with strategy. So there's all kinds of different things that happen, um, you know, and that's where, you know, with Scotty, I mean, he just he pretty much just wants me to caddy for him. You know, we're just out there talking strategy clubs because he's very tough mentally. So that, so that just, that's my job, you know, it's just to be out there trying to pick good clubs, help with strategy, read putts, you know, talking through shots so he can be fully committed. It's just like Rocky, you know, you got gaps, I got gaps, we fill each other's gaps. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact. Well said. All right, I got to ask you. I could have said you. a lot less words. <laughs> I, I tell you, uh, there's some cool things that happen at Augusta. That flag behind you, now I got bad eyes. Is that like the genuine article behind you? What What is that... Uh, behind you oh, there yeah. over your uh, your shoulder that, i carried that thing off at 18 and they let me take it i was excited so uh so yeah that, that thing came in the car with me i drove home with it and i said let, let me put this in the little shot i think it'd be something fun to, a little memorabilia for you guys fantastic well teddy we appreciate a few minutes so fun watching you guys work over the weekend congrats to you as well great foosball story also and we'll talk to you soon <laughs> thank you all right thanks fellas all right see you guys ted scott caddy for Scotty Scheffler, who you'll find on this list, a look at the Comcast Business Tour Top 10. The reason it's so important since 2009, every player who finished in the Comcast Business Tour Top 10 has made it to Eastlake, the Tour Championship. This year, the FedEx Cup winner will receive $18 million. Look at these smiling faces, Jaime. Yes. I mean, wouldn't yeah. you be smiling if you had a chance? I'm you, life is good out there. Life is good, Scotty Scheffler, of course in the Catbird seat. Much more to come on this Monday. We continue to celebrate the incredible play of world number one and newly minted master champ, Scotty Scheffler. Coming up, exclusive interview. Sit down with 2022 Masters champ, Scotty Scheffler, built for the big stage. Four wins and six starts, showing no signs of slowing down. We aren't either. Golf Today rolls on. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Golf Today on a Monday. Damon Hack alongside Jaime Diaz covered his first Masters back in 1986. That was special in its own right. Why was this one special in your mind? I always feel when the number one player comes and wins the Masters, that's a validator of his number one status and makes the Masters more memorable. Yeah. And I've seen a few of those. Fred Couples in 1992 in particular, mm -hmm. that was his greatest moment. And... Scotty Scheffler did it too. Didn't you just love how well-rounded his game was and proved to be? Hits the ball a long way, but yeah. the short game, almost a renewed appreciation in my mind of how old school this mm -hmm. player was. 25, it's, it's the quiet types you got to worry about. Well, it's a good reminder that the tougher the golf course, the more important the short game is if you want to win, if you yeah. want to be a champion. And Tiger proved that, obviously. Uh, Seve proved that. It makes up for more flaws than anything else. Yeah. You know, you can have a you can be a great driver with a poor short game and it won't help. But if you're a poor driver with a good short game, you can survive a little bit more. And yeah. uh, you have to in championship golf because nobody on those golf courses can sustain perfect play over yeah. time. You have to save yourself. And Scotty did it 
in such a timely way, especially that third hole yesterday. You mentioned world number one. How about guys who have made their worldwide debut as world number one at the Masters? Bernhard Langer, 1986, finished tied for 16th. Ian Woosnam, 1991, won the whole thing, as did Scotty Scheffler. What a Sunday that he had in Augusta. And now Scotty sits down with our own Todd Lewis. Scotty, when I talked to you Saturday night, you said you were not going to think about putting on the green jacket. You admitted after your round on Sunday, you cried like a baby. You were overwhelmed. What changed from Saturday night to having that heaviness on Sunday morning? I couldn't tell you other than I failed miserably at my goal not to think about it. <laughs> um, I just think there's, you know, there's a lot more that comes with this than just winning a golf tournament. You know, um, my personal life won't change a bit, but my life outside of my home and, you know, my normal routine will definitely change. And, you know, I, I talked a lot with my wife about that this morning because, you know, we love our lives right now. We don't, we don't really want anything to change. And so, this definitely brings, you know, some new aspects into our life. And I didn't, you know, I don't know if I'm prepared for it. And that, that was really the stress of the moment was, you know, are we truly ready for this? And, you know, she is, she's so smart and she's so much wiser than I am. And, you know, she snapped me back to reality real quick and, uh, you know, reminded me of, uh, you know, who's in control of our lives. So the golf wasn't the fear there? No, I mean, obviously, I, I, if you're in the lead, I'm never, you know, I'm not going to say never, but, you know, the odds are I'm not going to have a better chance to win my first major than going into Sunday with a three-shot lead. And, you know, especially with this tournament being the Masters tournament. And, uh, you know, there's definitely some stress there. You know, I've, I've worked my whole life to put myself in a position where I could win this tournament. And to have such a great opportunity, there's, there's definitely some stress surrounding that as well. But, you know, the overwhelming part of it was, you know, life outside the ropes. You and I were talking not too long ago, and you said being picked by Steve Stricker as a captain's pick and going and performing well, being in that team room with all those great players, it was a key moment in your career. It was a moment of acceptance. How do you think you're perceived now, given where you are? I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. I do you think, care? I mean, you know, that's up, up to you guys. Uh, to be accepted in that team room meant the world to me. Um, for those guys to want me on that team, for us to perform in the way that we did at that tournament, and to win the cutback in such a convincing fashion was, was so much fun. And I'm so grateful just to have been a part of that team. And you know, I'm, I'm thankful to the guys in the team room. I'm thankful to Captain Stricker just for having me a part of that squad because, you know, at the time I was 100% the last guy on that team. I was the lowest ranking player. I didn't have a tour win. You know, it, it took some guts for them to put me on that team and to, ha to have the vote of my peers and, um, you know, it definitely gave me a lot of confidence and that's what made me feel so comfortable that week, you know. You know, it's interesting. This is your first start at the Masters as the world's number one player. And, and you said pretty much all week, I don't feel differently as the number one player in the world. Do you feel differently as a Masters champion now? No, not really. You know, I, like I told you earlier, I haven't even seen myself in this jacket, so <laughs> I don't even know if it fits. But, um, you know, I'll, I'm going to enjoy this one. I'm going to go home for a few days and, you know, just, just really soak it in. And I've achieved a, something that I, I only dreamed and, you know, I never really thought was a possibility. And so for me, this, is, this one's really special. When I go back a year ago, you were outside the top 20 in the world, still searching for your first PGA Tour win. You're now number one in the world with four wins, including, of course, a major championship. 
How would you describe your fulfillment right now? And what more do you want to achieve? You know, I, I think I think golf doesn't really fulfill me. And so if I show up at Zurich and, you know, Palmer and I don't play that great, I'm going to be frustrated again with golf. Um, that's just how it goes. You know, golf doesn't satisfy my heart and doesn't satisfy my soul. And that's something I know going into it. And so, you know, what's, what's really enjoyable for me is, you know, having a nice life off the golf course, you know, having a wife that loves me and, um, you know, like I said, life off the golf course is pretty good right now. And so that's the kind of stuff that satisfies me versus anything on the golf course. You have great perspective and you're a great champion. Congratulations, Scotty. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate it. Scotty Scheffler, a man in full. And so you're thinking, what about the rest of the major championship schedule? Well, Scotty has some history. Southern Hills won the 2015 Big 12 championship as a freshman at UT. How about the Country Club? June, U.S. Open. He reached the quarters of the 2013 U.S. Amateur as a 17-year-old. Here's what Scotty said to PGA Tour back in 2019. Hey, what's the best golf course you've played? He said, well, we talked about that the other day. I think Southern Hills is probably my favorite. Wow, a lot of folks kind of dug up that old quote from a few years ago. Scotty Scheffler, the man of the moment. For more, we bring back our own Paige McKenzie. Paige, a lot to unpack. That was a terrific sit-down, I thought, with Todd Lewis. What's your biggest takeaway? You know, I think it, it was not a huge surprise to see Scotty Scheffler uh, ascend and play some great golf as a professional. I think we've heard that throughout. We've seen the pedigree that he's had. Um, but as I was digging through uh, old transcripts, I actually came across something Tiger Woods said in 2000, after his win at the U.S. Open, where he won by 15 shots. He's won 20 times on the PGA Tour at that point. It was his third major championship. And one of the reporters asked him about his success at a young age, how he felt like he had done so well as a young professional. And his answer was, it has to be going back to junior golf days. I, I look back at my junior golf days and I realized that that success helped teach me the lessons I needed to learn to be a successful winner. And when I look at Scotty Scheffler, I see the same kind of pedigree. Uh, he won something upwards of 90-plus junior tournaments. Uh, the number has been reported differently uh, around, but that's an extraordinary amount of times to hoist a trophy, to learn what your body goes through in those moments. And yes, it's junior golf, but when you have somebody like Tiger Woods also making that case that it was those moments as a young player to learn those skills, uh, I have to believe that the trajectory that Scotty Scheffler was on to get to this point is a very measured one, one that he gained skills along the way the entire time. He was built for moments like we saw on Sunday. I love that from Paige. She's yeah. been very consistent through the years about the importance of winning. Paige, whether you're talking about the Cactus Tour or players that win in PGA Tour, Latino America, very consistent about the importance of winning, even back to junior golf, AJGA. How important is it? It's a skill to become yeah. a consistent winner. I think it's especially important. The mm. earlier, the more formative. And I thought when Tiger gave his Hall of Fame speech, he emphasized those days. He didn't talk specifically about winning, but he has in the past talked about the art of winning and dealing with pressure. He was feeling pressure when he was six, seven years old. He used to talk about choking all the time. He goes, oh, I was choking so bad. Yeah. And I learned how to handle that. And to learn it at that age and make it almost, you know, an unconscious sort of skill, I mean, what an advantage. I mean, that's no, I mean, no one's won more than Tiger. I, I didn't know Scotty won 90. That's quite impressive. Yeah. That speaks even better for him. 
But Tiger carried that all the way through to the highest levels of golf. And he's the best under pressure probably ever mm. in terms of closing after a third round lead. Uh, no one's ever approached that record. And I got to believe it has a lot to do with learning it so early. So it's almost second nature. He does not seem to be susceptible to the same kind of vulnerabilities that others are. I mean, he hasn't closed every time, but you never see him lose his poise. Even when he doesn't have his game, yeah. he continues to project a, an almost, uh, you know, uh, impenetrable kind of mm. kind of skill in terms of you're not going to get to me. Yeah. You know, I might, you're, you're not going to beat me. I mean, you're going to have to beat me. I'm not going to beat myself. And, you know, that's the art of winning. Yeah. And I think it is an art uh, beyond just how you hit the ball and how you, uh, you know, score. It's there's actually uh, an ability to understand the key moments, take advantage of them, and never give your opponent an opening. That's yeah. that's really special. And you know, he he did that on three yesterday. It was an intangible. I keep going back to that shot yeah, that was and that moment, moment. But I mean, it flipped the whole Masters yeah. right there. And I, I love Paige's point about winning because he did a lot of that winning in the shadow of Jordan Spieth. Yeah. John Fields, the UT coach, told me he was compared his entire boyhood into college to Jordan Spieth as a U.S. junior amateur champ, as a high school dominator, as someone who went to UT and, and kind of followed in the footsteps yeah. of Jordan Spieth. And it never became too much for Scotty Shelfer, now a winner of the Masters and a winner of four of his last six starts. So how about the odds? Our buddies at points bet for the PGA Championship. Well, John Rahm still, <laughs> they're holding out hope, still plus 1,100. Scotty Shelfer now plus 1,200, Jaime. I'm a little surprised. Okay. I think I think, and John has acknowledged. Hey, Scotty deserves number one. He's yeah. played everybody, and it's no fluke. And John is—it's a great tribute to John. Yeah. He's, I think people feel like he's leaving a little on the table right now because he's not putting well, and he'll figure it out. And who knows? That may be a great battle down the line. Yeah. In, uh, Scotty versus John Rahm. And hello, Rory McIlroy, a plus yes. 1400. Good to see the fourth-time nice yeah. major champ. Well, folks, we saw some changes made to the golf course at Augusta ahead of the 86 Masters Tournament. When it was all said and done, what was the consensus from the players? We discuss when Golf Today returns. Oh, it's the happiest week of the year for so many in golf, the players and caddies, the patrons, the media, enjoying the food in the press center, channeling their inner Albert Brooks from Defending Your Life. I'm gonna bring you nine the pies. Or in this case, nine pimento cheese sandwiches. Just a week to remember. Sun came out on Sunday. It was a gorgeous final round. And yeah, we saw some interesting changes to the golf course. 11 and 15 in particular. You see the scoring average. The toughest was 11. And 15 was, was no pick. You see it's 15th, but not a lot of action there. No eagles on 15. Not many guys going for it. That's true. A lot of people laying well, up. There was a lot of extreme weather. I think Friday was a good indicator. Yeah. It'll still be it'll still be available for Eagle, but not as often. Got to be a special, special shot. Speaking of special, we've got our own Paige McKenzie. Paige, your thoughts is a talking point among the, the media and the players as well. Your thoughts on the changes in the resulting stats that we saw at 11 and 15. I'm just amazed at how much this golf course continues to evolve and change. Uh, 11 to me when I walked the golf course was vastly vastly different um, than it was previously. It still remained extremely difficult hole. I think previous, the last two masters, it was ranked the second most difficult on the golf course, now the first most. Uh, the recontouring of the fairway, as well as what the changes were made up near the green, I think was maybe the biggest change for the players and what made it so difficult is that is 
typically such a, a bailout area near the green, and that chip shot became so much more difficult. Uh, 15, I like the changes on 15. 11, I'm not so sure because it's not fun when so few players are hitting the green. But 15, I think a golf course should be a risk-reward. I think these par fives should be a more risk-reward. 15 had gotten uh, to the point where so many players can reach it into and didn't have that decision-making that's required. Uh, but you still saw players being rewarded for hitting great drives and still being able to reach it into. What do you think, Jaime? I love the changes personally. I think that an eagle, it should be rare and special. So I'm okay with that. 11 was tough even before the changes, and now it's an absolute brute. 520. Oh. 520. I mean, there you are. That's a that's that's longer by a lot than 13. That's a par five for you and me. That's a six, yeah. <laughs> but in any event, uh, I think it, it does bring in the long iron approach. Yes. I like seeing that. I, it's a very difficult one. And as far as the bailout, I think it's fun to see those guys have to use their skill. It's not the same Larry Mice shot. It's harder. Mm. Uh, but it def definitely, it's a, it, that's a risk-reward shot. Going at the pin when it's back near the water, from <laughs> even though it's 30-yard shot, that's a scary shot. So a lot of skill there. I think that Augusta wants to bring out the skill. And I don't think the players criticize much because they know how much thought went into this and they respect the track record of Augusta making good changes. And I expect you'll see changes every year to one or two holes. Uh, and these were the two this year. Mm. I would have actually liked to have seen 11 play the same distance, but just that new contouring. Uh, when we watch the Augusta National Women's Amateur, that golf hole plays very differently because they place the ball so much further down the fairway. It's a it's a totally different approach. And I would have been I would have liked to see the men playing from a landing area a little further up. And then just have the challenge be around the greens. Uh, there was two variables there with the distance and then the recontouring. And it would have been nice to see maybe one variable at a time. But that's just me being picky. Well, we'll <laughs> see what they do next year. Always subtle tweaks. Sometimes they're more noticeable. But there's always a difference year after year at Augusta National. And Paige, thanks for hopping on. Felt like old times. We'll speak to you soon. <laughs> thanks, guys.